with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Understanding the melody from daily reflections. When dealing with an alcoholic, there must there may be a natural annoyance that a man could be so weak, stupid, and irresponsible. Even when you understand the melody better, you may feel this feeling rising. Alcoholic Anonymous, page 139. Having suffered from alcoholism, I should understand the illness, but sometimes I feel annoyance, even contempt toward a person who cannot make it an AA. When I feel that way, I am satisfying my false sense of superiority, and I must remember, but for the grace of God, there go I. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Yep. I approve of this message. That's how I felt when I came in. They say, hang around with the winners, and I would hide. You know, I tried winning in life, and I could not win, and I was irresponsible could not pay attention and weak. Um, And when they mentioned those words, I got red-faced. I have my own judgment in me. I have my own critical self telling me what the problem is. I sure did not need uh, an over-exaggerated AA or come to my face and start telling me uh, these things. But only for the grace of God, I was able to judge myself in the measure of these words. How tall was these words towards me? How tall? They were pretty tall. You know, so our, in, my intelligence is, is to keep an eye on the, uh, on the brokenhearted that come in with court and bruised eagle. And only by the grace of God, by making a friend and uh, giving them how the program worked for me, expressing them, it seems to be working. When people talk in a meeting, uh, most of the time they look at me. They look towards me like the tall order to be catapult over my experiences. I hope I don't put them too high. And that I am happy, joyous, and free, and easy to talk to. You know, manner of living that really works. And given consideration to the newcomer, folks, that's our primary purpose, is to be wise in handling this incredible responsibility of a new life coming into AA and having them be born again in this 12-step program. The book says, born again, folks. We were born again. <clears throat> Should I read it to you? On what page? Some of you guys are scared of being a spiritual matter. You're scared somebody's going to come and possess you. It says on page 63, when we sincerely took a, such a position, all sorts of remarkable things follow for everyone. We had a new employer being all powerful. He provided what we needed. If we kept close to him and performed his work well. 
Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life and to others. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of His presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. We were enjoying in how God had designed this world, this earth, this living experience. Moving right along, thank you guys for listening. <clears throat> for End Alcoholic, December the 19th, 24-hour little book. The skeptic and the agnostic say it is impossible for us to find answers to life. Many have tried and failed, but many more have put aside intellectual pride and have said to themselves, Who am I to say there's no God? Who am I to say there is no purpose in life? The atheist makes a declaration, The world originated in a cipher and aimless rush nowhere. Others live by the moment and do not even think about why they are here or where they are going. They might as well be clams on the bottom of the ocean protected by their hard shells of indifference. They are going nowhere and they do not care. Do I care where I'm going? Yes, we do. We're here, folks. Meditation for the day. We may consider the material world as the clay which the artist works with to make of it something beautiful or ugly. We need not fear material things which are neither good nor bad in the moral sense. There seems to be no active force for evil outside of human beings themselves. Humans alone can have either evil intentions, resentments, malevolence, hate, and revenge, or good intentions, love, and goodwill. They can make something ugly or something beautiful out of the clays of their lives. Prayer for the day. I pray that I may make something good out of my life. I pray that I may be a good artisan with the materials that I have been given to use. Amen. That's a 24-hour little book. Outstanding reading for today. And now, for a reading of today's grapevine, one of my favorite parts is to pick a random story out of a random grapevine. All right, we have one here, August 1995. A.A. Grapevine. And I'm just opening up random, see what we got. It says right here, pot of gold. These are small letters written in. It used, it used to be called Your Move 
responses from readers on the topic of AA unexpected places. And that's, it caught my eye. It says something about the pot of gold from Vero Beach, Florida. One spring, after I was some years sober, I accompanied my wife and a group of her fellow graduate students to Oaxaca, Mexico, where they were spending a week in that beautiful city studying the great ruins of Monte Alban. Evidently, I was the only alcoholic in the group, as the rest of them drank like mice, you know, normally. <laughs> in my newly found confidence to handle different situations, I neglected to find out how to contact AA in Oaxaca, and by the second day, I had grown restive. That evening, my wife and I went for a walk in the market, and just as I was explaining my need for a meeting, I looked up and saw the AA circle and triangle hanging from the window of a second-floor office. We went upstairs and found it closed, but there was a list of the current meetings posted on the door. The next night, I strode to a tiny structure located in a plaza where I found a small meeting with perhaps six or seven about to begin. The lingua franca was in Spanish, but several of the participants who were indignous seemed to have as much trouble with the language as I did. Later, we learned that there were meetings in the state of Oaxaca where regional dialects were spoken. But here they welcomed me and several other local newcomers and spoke slowly for us all. As I heard the familiar words, my anxiety vanished. I felt accepted and right at home and even attempted to express my gratitude using my inexpert Castilian. The weeks passed rapidly as we explored museums, ruins, restaurants, played tennis, and walked everywhere. My wife has always been extremely supportive of my program, and I was able to share with her my continuing awe of what AA was accomplishing for me. She was a good listener. Having gone to Elnon, and though the messenger had been deeply resented at the time, all this was now behind us, and we were growing closer again. Let me read that again. She was a good listener, having gone to Alanon, and though the messenger had been deeply resented at the time, all this was now behind us, and we were growing closer again. Now it was the final Saturday, and again we were walking. A brief rainstorm had cleared the dust from the streets and left a sweet, fresh smell in the air. Suddenly, almost over our heads, a huge and vivid rainbow formed. One of the arcs seemed to touch the earth only blocked from where we stood and gapped. Let's follow it and see if that pot of gold exists, suggested my wife. We increased our pace and found ourselves heading for the beautiful Cathedral of Santo Domingo, where we had spent much time admiring the interior. So it's the church, I cried. But it wasn't the church. The rainbow arc extended farther beyond the next block and toward the same plaza where I had found that first AA meeting. As we approached the rainbow, dissolved and was replaced by a brilliant sunshine. Now we could hear band music and, and there were people everywhere. There were also numerous banners, all with AA circle and triangle on them. What was happening? 
Here was a sound truck from local radio station broadcasting events. Several food vendors were doing a booming business. A large podium had been set up, and behind it was the grandest banner of all. Congratulations from a neighboring town's AA intergroup to Oaxaca, AA on their 10th anniversary. Presently, a distinguished-looking lady gave a short explanation of Elna, and then several AA members briefly told their stories. Here we had an open meeting going on full blast. Finally, a priest from the cathedral explained how AA worked, emphasizing that it was not part of any church. He knew his AA facts and ended by saying that although he was not a member of AA, he was an AAA Amigo de Alcoholics Anonymous and proud of it. AAA <laughs> Amigo de Alcoholicos Anonymous. The rainbow was forgotten as I became caught up in emotions, gratified to be a part of this fellowship, which had rescued so many of us from humanity's junk heap. No, we don't use bands to attract members in the U.S., but in every aspect of the program, that really counts. This was AA at its very best. That was years ago. Perhaps there are some AAO timers in Oaxaca now who follow the rainbow into the plaza that day and wonder, as I did, just what was happening and stayed around to find out. John Age. Beautiful, beautiful story. Wow, that is uh, amazing intelligence, really. It's an open meeting up in the plaza telling passerbyers with food, Enthusiasm, good-looking people. We've got our best people up there. Explaining even the local priests in a heavily Catholic and heavily different, you know, different languages. Amazing, amazing. You see what happens there, folks? Fernando Alcoholic. Now I want to go to Oaxaca. I'm going to put that on my, on my bucket list. That's how I ended up in the uh, 12 coconut meeting in Hawaii by listening to a story like this from somebody explained that they had meetings over there. I've been there four or five times now by the grace of God. All things are possible in this program. We're constantly asking for remarkable things to happen. You ask... Uh, where does it say that in the big book that remarkable things will happen? Well, I'm glad you asked that. I'll go ahead and find it here and read it to you. Um, is it right here? Hmm. Well, maybe you're right. It doesn't say remarkable. It says miraculous. Huh. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us what we could not do by ourselves. Page 25. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, toward our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our life today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do by ourselves. All right, all right. And then before that, it says, There is a solution 
Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we have been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we have not even dreamed. You know, folks, it just dawned on me. I wonder if we can do the same thing for uh, AA over here. You know, what traditions will I be breaking if I have an open meeting with banners and food and music and, you know, music from the 70s, rock and roll, baby, and then have the local priests talk about AA, the local people get up there and give uh, what it is, what it is is done for our lives. How about this? The local crazies that have gotten AA uh, get up and give a, a brief uh, testimony, an open meeting, folks. People wandered in, and God has brought them in. You know, sometimes there's so much negativity that it stifles the program, so much negativity in people. You know, I, I opened a few meetings, and the negativity of people is... They say, uh, well, the area can afford another meeting in this area. The meetings we have here are barely staying alive. And I said, well, God will pay for the meeting. And then they retort, he can, God can't even afford it. (laughs) And by some miracle, this is the truth, folks. I'm having a conversation outside of the business meeting And some guy is telling me that God cannot afford uh, it. You know, he's just being, uh, was not happy. But at the minute he said that, a lady came from the, uh, right through us singing a song, very happily, one of the members. She didn't hear our conversation. She came out of a glass door from the Alano Club, the coffee club, and she sang a song. And she said, um... Something in nature that all things were possible. You know, it was a, a, a song that was very well known about that God can do it. It was amazing. And she walked right in between us. I have to go to my notes and find that point. And moving right ahead i went to go visit that meeting and there was about there was 32 people in that meeting on one friday at 9 a.m the pro the, the and they were having a, they were having picnics and they were having uh outings barbecues and they had so much money they had to have a treasurer god cannot afford it don't tempt god he's just like you and i we can't tell him what to do. We could just ask him and, and run our uh, our request through him. Uh, right here it says remarkable things will happen in the uh, promises. Um, anyway, I've seen it twice. We'll have to go to uh, page 164 and beyond or whatever that is and look it up. 
I'm not running in all eight cylinders today, and that's all right. I'm trying to get too much in, and that's usually what happens. All right, thank you very much for coming in today's uh, reading podcast. Let's go ahead and shift gears now. We're going to go into our our spiritual study, uh, my choice of my higher power as I understand him. So those of you who have to go relax, go ahead. And those of you who want to stay for further meeting, spiritual meeting, my choice, please stay, please. Thank you. Let's pray the Our Father to end this meeting. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God just reminded me what the uh, song was. Remember that song? It says, I got the power. I got the power. The lady came out of that door singing that song and she walked right through us. <laughs> he works in miracle ways to perform. Isn't that awesome? Have a great day, folks. Give them heaven. Thank you. Welcome back to our session today. We're going to be reading Faith to Faith. We're going to be reading the book of Proverbs, the book of Psalms, and Limitless Love. See if we can get that in in today's study. Let's go ahead and open it with the uh, the Lord's Prayer again, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for coming to today's session. We'll be reading... Faith to faith. Don't settle for second best by Kenneth Copeland. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith work in patience. James 1, 2, and 3. I admit it's tough to be enthusiastic about going through tests and trials, But can you get excited about being totally supplied in every way? In want of nothing? Well, according to the Word of God, if you use your trials to develop patience, you're going to be in precisely that position. What position? You can get excited about being totally supplied in every way. In want of nothing. Well, according to the Word of God, that's what happens. If we all use our trials to develop patience, 
we're going to be precisely in that position. Awesome. Let's get with it. Let's get some. You see, patient doesn't mean that you thought it meant it. It means. It means. It does not mean settling sweetly for second best. It does not mean standing meekly by while the devil romps all over you. No, patience is a powerful word. The New Testament meaning of it is translated literally from the Greek is to be consistently constant or to be the same way all the time, regardless of what happens. To understand how much power is involved in that, you have to realize that that it is one of the most outstanding attributes of God himself. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Think about that for a moment. The guy who absolutely cannot be changed by anyone or anything is an extremely powerful fellow. Wouldn't you say? Obviously, God has that much power. But you know what? You do too. By the power of the Holy Ghost working within you, you can be the same every day no matter what happens. If you put your trust in the Word of God and let patience go to work, it won't matter what happens. You won't ever have to accept anything less than victory again. Now that's something to get excited about. You know, once the soul accepts a mathematical equation, it cannot be moved. Look how hard it was for us to convince the soul to surrender to to God, to Jesus. What did God have to do to, to us? He had us uh, strip away everything that we relied on to get to a point to say yes to Jesus, yes to our higher power. And now our soul won't let go of that. Our soul knows And that's where fate is kicked in. When God seems distant, our soul remembers the uh, the format and remembers the, the it remembers the trial and the lesson and the discipline, and then it sticks to that. Our souls our souls need nourishment and continually uh, praising and thanking and uh, encouraging our souls. To accept God's word. So we go go from animalistic, from being an animal, to uh, being a good example of others, what God can do in a person's life. Remember, with God, all things are possible. With us is opening the soul by prayer, opening it to God's ways by prayer. All right, our next reading for today is Limitless Love. Oh, excuse me, I I need to read 2 Timothy. What am I thinking about? 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. That's part of this uh, reading we have right now. And again, I have to switch it over to the English English reading, 2 Timothy. I should have a regular Bible here. Let me uh, 
and read it from the... Uh, there you go, I do have a Bible here. Uh, what a coincidence, that Grapevine article I read, huh? Pretty cool. And we took that random right off the shelf. That was not a coincidence. That's a higher power wanting something, you know, wanting something for us to implement. Excited and have a, can you imagine me getting a booth over in, uh, at the local uh, flea center and put the banner, what AA is, and have Spanish and English uh, people talking about it. Open meeting, guys. Now, who can stop me? Who can oppose me that I'm breaking the traditions? Really? You mean when a guy, what happens when a guy uh, breaks into houses, drinks, and, and tears people up? And they say, oh, man, that guy needs Alcoholic Anonymous. Yeah. He stole this from me, stole that. But don't advertise it. No. We're not promotion. We're not promoting, guys. We're just letting people know where water is available. Where bread and water is available to save lives. That's what we're doing. That's how we're doing. Is it not in the Yellow Pages? Doesn't AA send out um, uh, correspondence to jails, places, and institutions? Well, you say that's different. What's so different about it? There's two million people that are incarcerated. Human beings. Stifle, stifle, or, 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 or what do you call it? I'll stop right there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through 17, it says, But you know that I teach, this is Paul, Paul's charge to Timothy. But you know that I teach, Timothy, and how I live, and what my purpose is in life is. You know my faith on how long I have suffered. You know my love and my patience endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Lystra. But the Lord delivered me from all of this. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and impostors will flourish. They will go on deceiving others, and they themselves will be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ, Jesus. All scripture is inspired of God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It strains us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. Now remember, Paul reminded Timothy of the wonderful resources that God has left. He has left behind for us the Bible, the words, the solution, 
It is the ultimate guide to help us realize what is wrong in our lives. It is the only accurate measuring tool available to help us. Make an honest moral inventory. It reveals God's program for healthy living and shows us how to relate properly and unselfishly to God and the other people. God's Word offers more than just good advice. It promises God's powerful help to all who turn to Him with a humble heart. Our recovery will benefit when we take the time to understand it and apply it to our lives. Woohoo! Outstanding reading. That's from the uh, New Recovery Bible, folks, under 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. That's the solution, folks. The solution uh, dissolves the resistance of wrong thinking, wrong living. The solution will touch the soul and give new operating system. We have come to believe in the futilityness of life and the way we've been living it. We knew, we knew that it was raining, not only cats and dogs out there, but it was raining acid and knives and guns, uh, injections, and it was raining evil out there. In, a, in the AA rooms is safety. In the 12-step rooms, there is life. Didn't take any rocket sciences for me to see that. That it was, Here I can have what you guys have and have life eternally. Enjoy the music for 30-second intermission. so much we're gonna have a big day today of uh on sunday of work yep i rested yesterday folks it's more convenient for me to rest on saturday and ground myself in the grass and read literature and say hi to the neighbors as they pass by there is a way out. It's through words, constructive words. Limitless Love by Gloria Copeland. She uses scripture, Psalm 118, verse 17, that says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 17. And the title is, That's What Our Loving God Can Do. I notice that when we start talking about the goodness and love of the Lord, especially in secular or traditional religious company, 
It always seems as if someone always has a story to tell that puts God in a bad light. I don't know, they'll say. If God is such a loving God, why did he let dear old sister Super Saint die of that terrible disease? Why didn't he do something to save her? Don't ever let stories like that shake you. Just stick with the word. Stand strong on your faith in the loving nature of God and start accumulating some inspiring stories of your own. Collect stories like the one about Sister Pearl. She's a lady who attended one of our healing meetings in Denver a few years ago, says Gloria Copeland. She didn't come to get healed. She came with her daughter and granddaughter to give her testimony about what the Lord had already done for her. It seems some months before, Pearl had been rushed to the emergency room and diagnosed with spinal meningitis. Even before her daughter was able to get her there, Pearl had slipped into a coma. All I can remember is that I closed my eyes, I didn't feel any pain, and I went to this beautiful place that was just peace and rest. Left to herself, Pearl might have been just as happy to go home to heaven and to be with the Lord. But her daughter and granddaughter weren't about to let that happen. Pearl had raised them on the word of God. She had taught them the truth about God's love and his healing power. She seemed to it they were trained to walk in faith. She seemed to it. So at that critical moment, that training kicked in. When the doctors told them Pearl's heart wasn't functioning properly, they refused to be afraid. When they were told that her lungs were failing and her brain was failing, filling up with fluid, they just kept believing. Pearl would not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The doctors were confused. Don't you see the reports? They asked. Don't you understand what the result of the test and the MRI mean? We don't look at those things that are seen, the daughter and granddaughter said. We look at the word of God, and it says, By the stripes of Jesus, she is healed. Within days, Pearl's condition turned around. Her heart, her lungs, and her brain returned to normal, despite the doctor's dire predictions. Dire. She didn't walk with a cane. She had no brain damage, and she was functioning better when she left the hospital than she ever did. When someone dares to believe and act on the word, that's what our loving God can do. Beautiful, beautiful words of life. Folks, I had a, a pain in my liver. I may be drinking too much coffee or too much eating too much garlic and onions for preventive maintenance for the, um, you know, to be healthy. I started getting a pain and maybe... And I started quoting and reading more of the healing scriptures of God. And lo and behold, the last couple of days has gone away. So I'm going to do that. We're going to read the word of God more. We're going to read Proverbs 19, please, if you please listen in. Psalms 19, a few psalms. And we'll end our Sunday service with uh, the word of God. Here we go. Okay, we're here already.
Believing the Word of God in the face of nonsense. Believing the Word of God and what God says. God says, I am, there is no other. He says, my word will stand. Everything else will fall away. His word is the solution. All we have to do is keep on keeping on. All right, Psalm 19. Oh, Proverbs 19, please. All righty. Proverbs 19 from the New Living Testament. Beautiful writings. It says right here, chapter 19. It is better to be poor and honest than to be a fool and dishonest. Zeal without knowledge is not good. A person who comes who moves too quickly may go the wrong way. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Wealth makes many friends. Poverty drives them away. A false witness will not go unpunished, nor will a liar escape. Many beg favors from a prince. Everyone is a friend of a person who gives gifts. If the relative of the poor despises them, how much more will their friends avoid them? The poor call after them, but they are gone. To acquire wisdom is to love oneself. People who cherish understanding will prosper. Any of you that are listening up to this point, already over 40 minutes, you love yourself. To acquire wisdom is to love oneself. People who cherish understanding will prosper. A false witness will not go unpunished, and a liar will be destroyed. It isn't right for a fool to live in luxury or for a slave to rule over a princess. People with good sense restrain their anger. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. The king's anger is like a, a lion roar, but his favor is like a dew on the grass. A foolish child is a calamity of a, to a father a nagging wife annoys like a constant dripping. Parents can provide their sons with inheritance of houses and wealth, but only the Lord can give an understanding wife. A lazy person sleeps soundly and goes hungry. Keep the commandment and keep your life. Despising them leads to death. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Discipline your children while there is hope, and you, if you don't, you will ruin their lives. 
19, short-tempered people must pay their own penalty. If you rescue them once, you will have to do it again and again. Again, short-tempered people, people getting into problems, must pay their own penalty. If you rescue them once, you will have to do it again. The Recovery Bible has something to say about this. It says, if we rescue impatient friends from their problems once, we will probably rescue them again and again. They will become used to being rescued and will live irresponsibly without suffering the consequences of their behavior. We may even become codependent, addicted to the pattern of avoiding our own needs and gaining a sense of importance by helping others in their need. This harms us and the people who need our help. Though it is painful to do, we must let others feel the effects of their addiction. The pain of those experiences may bring them to admit their problems and seek recovery. See how important it is? The helper may be addicted to helping and ruining their own lives and not living up to God's standards and not letting the other people live and vent for their own selves. There's Al-Anon, folks. There's a, a host of a lot of programs there. They mention CODA, CODA, um, Children of Alcoholic Parents, Alateen. All these are, are to make us astute, uh, responsible individuals and to take care, love ourselves and love the other human being that's hurting themselves. You know, we have to deal with this a lot if you're working with others all the time. You've got to find out how much is enough. Usually a good standard is I heard, I listened, I did, and I didn't do it again. I heard, I listened, I did, and I didn't do it again. Now, other people hear the same material, but picking up your faith, picking up your hope and your belief, and locking it in with God... That's the goal. And as long as I'm locking my faith in with a person that's um, buying my bullshit, it's like a person having a credit card or something like that. They're not going towards God for a manly um, check-up disposition. That's why it's so important to start thanking God. If you're a foolish person, thank God. Then you're going to the man who created man, and he'll start with his mercy, start showing you how to live and how to take care of yourself. Uh, iron sharpens iron. Go to the maker and tell that you, you messed up your, your uh, you didn't read the instruction book and you didn't put oil in your motor and it's all blew up. Your tires are only have 15 pounds of pressure on them. They're all mixed tires, worn out. You can see the metal in them. The windows are busted. Doors are smashed in. Uh, a put pit bull was sleeping in the back of your dog, and they tore everything up. Barf. I'll stop right there. And you go to the manufacturer, and the manufacturer says, well, you don't have any money. You're broke. You don't have a pot to pee in. How, how are we going to do this? The only thing we have available for you is mercy, but you have to say uncle for the mercy. And you, what do you mean by that? You have to admit that you're a misfit, and then we'll give you mercy, the manufacturer says. Well, I don't want to do that. And they get in their car, 
Yeah, 50% of them drive away. They say, well, I am my own man. I do run my own shots. I take care of my own self. Really? You're living in the garage in your mother's mercy? Really? You ain't paying rent in your house or haven't been paying rent for years? Really? You can't hold a job? Really? Your anger has got the best of you? And you don't want God's mercy? Well, suit yourself. Go. All right, moving right along. Uh, verse 20. Get all the advice and instructions you can and be wise the rest of your life. See, once the instruction goes into the soul, the soul won't let it go. It's, it's computing a mathematical equation of peace, love, and justice, and caring for others and yourself. Be wise the rest of your life. Verse 21. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. There it is. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Loyalty makes a person attractive, and it is better to be poor than dishonesty. Fear of the Lord gives life, security, and protection from harm. Some people are so lazy that they won't even lift a finger to feed themselves. If you punish a mocker, the simple-minded will learn a lesson. If you reprove the wise, they will be all that wiser. If you punish a mocker, you know, the mocker can understand that he's uh, in denial and he's got shame and, and, uh, and stupid written all over him, but he can't seem to understand because he's a mocker. But the simple-minded will learn a lesson. Sometimes God is using that person as an example for us that are able to see it. You don't want to go there. You, you are on the right path. If you reprove the wise, they will be all that wiser. Reprove us, Lord. Reprove us. We need reproving. We need correction. We need discipline. We need God to be our Father and to uh, cultivate us and bring us along. Thank you. Thank you, God. Children who mistreat their father or chase away their mother are a public disgrace and an embarrassment. And selfish, very selfish. If you stop listening to instructions, my child, you have turned your back on knowledge. There you go. And you know, by the way, we leak. When I wake up in the morning, there's words all over the, the sheets. I leak instructions, so I have to fill my hopper all over again. If you stop listening to instructions, my child... You have turned your back on knowledge. So I commend you. God bless you. You're my kind of people here. We are doing the deal. A corrupt witness makes a mockery of justice. The mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Mockers will be punished and the backs of fools will be beaten. All right, now let's move right along. Um... Now, Psalm 19, for the sake of time. It's always for the sake of time, huh? 
Psalm 19 is one of my favorite psalms I'm reading to you from the New Living Translation, the Recovery Bible, which is God's will preference because the I have two of these Bible, maybe three, brand new one. Yeah, I do. I have a brand big, big new one. This lady that I was working with in al I told her that uh, if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and study it because she said she was having a lot of anxiety. I said, you're not putting enough in the hopper. Get your Bible out. So we're talking through the Zoom class. And she ordered one. I told you this story before. She ordered a new living recovery Bible. And they send it to her old address and she lost it. She, you know, and she paid for it. And guess what I told her? Thank God you lost it. Thank God it went to the, thank God. So she couldn't do it. So she, I said, do it. Just follow instructions, you know, for once. Say, thank you, God, I'm a misfit. Thank you, God, the Bible went to the wrong address and someone's got a hold of it. And I'll never see it again. And finally, she let it go and put it in God's hands. Well, at the park, because of COVID, a church was going out there on Sunday and setting up. And they're having band and everything. And they would see us and they come over and they say, hi, you guys need anything? I say, you got a new Bible? They go, no, we're fine. We're, you know, but I did get a Bible from him eventually. But then he said, you guys are recovering? He ordered what can I do for you? Well, we can use them. He, they ordered on their own recovery Bibles, and they brought us a whole box of brand new Bibles. The lady got three of them. Three of them, folks. I go, what are you going to do with three of them? Two different sizes. They gave me one big one, a special one, a recovery Bible. I'm still using my old one. It's all torn and everything. The idea is to, is to check oneself and commit each other into uh, raising the Word of God over our heads. Okay, here we go. Psalms 19. The heavens tell the, of the glory of God. The skies display His marvelous craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voices is silent in the sky. Yet their message has gone out, out to all the earth and their words to all the world. The sun lives in the heaven where God placed it. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom. After his wedding, it rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end, nothing can hide from his heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are bright, are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight to life. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are warnings to those who hear them. Warnings. 
There is great reward for those who obey them. Great reward, folks. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from my from these hidden faults. Keep me from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Beautiful, beautiful reading. Commentary says, No one can rightly say that he or she has never heard about God. See Romans 1.20. His power can be seen throughout our physical world. Even the sun, though silent in the sky, declares every day what God has done. All human beings benefit from the sun. And whether they like it or not, they cannot hide from the message it declares to all the world. God is not a figment of our imagination. He is with us right now, and He desires to help us through the recovery process. Adhering to God's laws will produce wholeness in our life. Applying God's truth revives our inner being and gives insight, even to the least of us, into how we should live. His word is not a burden that robs us of the good things in life. Instead, it transforms us and replaces our discouragement with joy. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Now I'm going to go ahead and for time's sake, I'm going to jump to Psalm 139, which is one of my favorite Psalms. Because, you know, because of Jesus Christ, a lot of the spiritual Psalms, the ones with the Holy Spirit, apply to us. And there are some Psalms in here that um, says, go and destroy this whole nation. That was the Old Testament, folks. It does not apply to us. For the Lord God is our light and protector. He give us grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold without from those who do what is right. O Lord Almighty, happy are those who trust in you. Okay, man, let me read that again. That's at the end of Psalm 84. It says, For the Lord God is our light and protector. He gives us grace and glory. That's all we qualify for. Folks, grace and glory. No good thing will the Lord withhold from those who do what is right. Thanking God is right. Okay? If you thank God that you're a misfit, then that's the right thing to do. Because that's the truth. You missed it. We missed it. All, all Everyone has missed it. But when we say yes to the Lord Jesus, that is what the right thing to do. No good thing will the Lord withhold from this, from those who do what is right. O Lord Almighty, happiest are those who trust in you. A single day in the presence of God is far better than a thousand lifetimes apart from Him. The security, peace, and love that God offers are greater than anything we could receive from people. When we find that the initial pleasures of our addiction have faded and the promises of our dependency having come true we can turn to God and he will fill our souls with true happiness may God bless you and keep you thank you for coming to today's meeting
Good morning, family. Good morning. You know, I ask God for direction, and then I have to wait. Waiting is the is the miracle part. It's the most amazing part to have a God that will dictate you instructions. Nano, nano. Placing the problems in His hands. Placing the puzzle, the situation, the challenge in His hands. I'm asking for clarity in what I must do. And he gives me clear direction. Wouldn't it be easier for us to sit with a pen and paper and wait patiently? How long would it take? How of an expert will we be of dictating? We're good at everything we, we try. Try, try again. How many times did we fail at some at typing or trying to build a new skill? I myself, I'm working on this. But sometimes it amazes me on the waiting part that we have that. Uh, we have God's help. God's help on a consistent basis. What is up with that? What is a God that... Our revelation is that he, he is so incredibly in love with us. I mean, he is uh, jumping up and down with joy and love. You ever meet someone, you know, somebody in, in the 12-step program or somebody and just, just breaming with love and enthusiasm and joy? They just can't contain themselves. That's, and, you know, it is dangerous. We become vulnerable in that, in that order when you're there. People take you for the wrong. You're just dreaming with what God ordained, love and enthusiasm and joy for the for the fellowship. It's kind of like being loaded. <laughs> Fernando, Alanon, we're going to read some Alanon statements for today. Some uh, some of their literature and books. If you permit me, let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. God, grant me, okay, serenity That's to accept the things I cannot change, focus courage. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. You know, some of the clarity that that prayer says is the courage part. And you know, notice that it has rage in it. Curte rage. In other words, um, let us get something done. You know, these programs and so forth and being kind and joyful and everything has... Uh, not put our courage in the right perspective. Talking about myself, I can only talk about myself on anybody else. Courage and rage is, you can, you're better than that. You are able, you're good to it. You know, you're more than better. You know, don't let your own uh, inhibitions keep you from being courageous. Getting that work done that you know that needs to be done. You know, 
getting up and achieving those goals that we need to achieve. Here we go. I'm going to read uh, One Day at a Time in al But today's December the 19th. I'm going to read yesterday's. I thought it was really interesting. It says, These are thoughts to take it to an Al-Anon meeting. I will make sure that what I say will be helpful to someone and not merely use the meeting as an audience for my troubles. Ooh. I will listen to everything that is said so I will have some constructive ideas to take home with me and use. I will not yield to my compulsion to go on talking after I made my point and what I say will have a direct relevance to the subject of the meeting. If someone asks for advice, I will give it only in the terms of Al-Anon principles and not suggest action to be taken. Like I just did, folks. <laughs> Today's reminder, the Al-Anon meeting is essentially group therapy from which one person which each person should derive maximum benefit. If I have a personal problem to discuss, I will talk about it to my sponsor before or after the meeting or by telephone between meetings. I will not waste a single minute of that one hour of the week when we can be together to share experience, strength, and hope. Interesting, interesting. I usually say that to I wonder if anybody's gonna can help me in a meeting. Uh, I am looking, and then I and say I am. So everybody learn turns to help. I say you may have this item in your garage somewhere, but I am looking for twenty five tons of gold. And I get a lot of chuckles, and I get a lot of frowns, and I get a lot of uh, people that know where the gold is. Would you believe that? It's up in the mountains. I know where it's at. <laughs> or you get articles of gold. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. Got a chuckle in the meeting, right? December the 19th. There are 168 hours in each week. Those who come to Elon for help have many of those hours filled with disturbing and even painful experiences. Uncertainly, unfilled needs and even violence. There are always to overcome much of this distress. And Alan offers one way. Isn't it worth one little hour out of 168 to come to an Alan meeting? Isn't it worth 10 minutes a day for reading the Alan books that tells us what we can do to help ourselves and perhaps half an hour to give a lift to another person in trouble? Today's reminder. It takes so little time out of the week to learn how Elanon applies to me and my chaotic life that the changes I can bring about seem like miracles. Living the Elanon way is an everyday program, and the more thought I give to it, the greater my rewards will be in contentment, fulfillment, and constant spiritual growth. Every minute I use in thinking and using the Elanon program makes all the hours of my whole week more livable. It takes so little time out of the week to learn how Ellen applies to me and my chaotic life that the changes I can bring about seem like miracles. Living the Ellen way is an everyday program, 
and the more thought I give to it, the greater my rewards will be in contentment, fulfillment, and constant spiritual growth. You heard it right here, folks. And for some reason or another, I got the unction to read you today's 24-hour little book for our fellow our fellow program, our sister program. December 19th starts out. AA thought for the day. The skeptic and the agnostic say it is impossible for us to find the answer to life. Many have tried and failed, but many more have put aside intellectual pride and have said to themselves, Who am I to say there is no God? Who am I to say there is no purpose in life? The atheist makes a declaration the world originated in a cipher and aimless rush no, nowhere. Others live for the moment and do not even think about why they are here or where they are going. They might as well be clams on the bottom of the ocean, protected by their hard shells of indifference. They are going nowhere and they do not care. Do I care where I'm going? Meditation for the day. We may consider the material world as the clay which the artist works with to make of it something beautiful or ugly. We need not fear material things which are neither good nor bad in the moral sense. There seems to be no active force for evil outside of human beings themselves. Humans alone can have either evil intentions, resentments, malevolence, hate and revenge, or good intentions, love and goodwill. They can, they can make something ugly or something beautiful out of the clay of their lives. Wow. Let me read that to you again. I wasn't, I went on a rabbit trail as I read this. We may consider the material world as the clay which the artist works with to make of it something beautiful or ugly. We need not fear material things which are neither good nor bad in the moral sense. There seems to be no active force for evil outside of human beings themselves. Humans alone can have either evil intentions, resentments, malevolence, hate and revenge, or good intentions, love and goodwill. They can make something ugly or something beautiful out of the clay of their lives. Prayer for the day. I pray that I may make something good out of my life. I pray that I may have a good artesian with the materials that I have been given to use. I pray that I may be a good artesian with the materials I've been given to you. Beautiful, beautiful words of life. What is it, folks? <clears throat> what I started in the beginning, we need to have courage to build our lives where we want it to be. If we want to laugh more, you know, create that atmosphere with 20-minute um, clips of... Uh, Animals doing uh, funny things and, and make yourself laugh and get everybody to enjoy laughter and, and uh, enjoy the moment. Laughter is a cup of medicine for everybody in the family to not to take yourself too seriously at the end of the day. And then courage in the morning is a cup of medicine for us to get out there and do those things that uh, we know we can do, but we've been lackadaisical. We are better than that. We can. You are the woman. I, you are the man that can accomplish that. We, we can do this through the power of this program and prayer. Go. Go in clarity. Go and must do.
He gives us clear direction. We place the problems in his hand. It's time to move and do and be of action. Enough waiting. Let us go. Go forward. All right. Have a good time. Thank you for coming today. Listening to me. Making sense. And some of us need to hear this message. Let's go ahead and finish this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the Lord's Prayer. Please. Thank you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working. Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul, page 5, The Empty Chair. Now, Tom Peters said, unless you walk out onto the unknown, the odds of making a profound difference in your life are pretty low. I walked into Tom Rutledge's office with no great expectations. I had been treated for various eating disorders, especially for over six months and had not seen any improvements with my anxoria, bulimia, anorexia. In fact, the binging, purging, and starving were getting worse every day. Almost as soon as we sat down, Tom took a chair from the corner and put it directly across from me. I was certain that I had signed up for an individual therapy session. I was really not in the mood for anyone to join us. He said, I want you to imagine your eating disorder sitting on this chair. I looked first at the door. I might be leaving soon. Then it got stranger. Tom suggested that we named my eating disorder. That's right. He wanted to name it. He called it Ed, which he explained is actually an acronym for eating disorder. Okay, something that made sense, but I still was wondering who was in more need of therapy, me or this so-called expert psychotherapist. I scanned the walls of the office looking for credentials. All of the other eating disorders professionals whom I had seen previously prominently displayed their various diplomas and certificates in their office. Tom's credentials were nowhere to be found. Instead, I saw a stuffed animal, some species I didn't recognize, an empty whisking bottle serving as a vase for dry flowers and an oversized deck of playing cards. Seriously? The cars were big. Who is this guy anyway? What am I doing here? And why did he just give me, give my eating disorder a man's name? I was confused. After those few moments of hesitation, I remember that I was paying this man a lot of money to help me recover from my eating disorder. So I decided to give Tom the benefit of the doubt. I looked at the chair, completely empty and still, and imagine my eating disorder, Ed, was sitting there. Once Tom saw that I was going to play along with his little metaphor, 
He took it to the next level of weird. He asked me to have a conversation with Ed. It did not take me long to realize that this chair was the most talkative piece of furniture I had ever run across in my life. This chair, Ed, actually had quite a lot to say. Tom was no longer the only stranger one in the room. Ed said, Jenny, you are fat. Why are you listening to Tom anyway? You will never be able to get rid of me. I have been with you your entire life. He continued, Feel how tight your jeans fit across your waist right now. Isn't that very uncomfortable? And remember this morning you had to buckle your belt one notch larger than normal? That means you better not eat dinner tonight. Ed went on and on throughout the session with negative comments about food, weight, and more. As I sat listening to Ed, it all felt so familiar. Finally, Tom interrupted and asked Jenny, Do you have anything that you want to say back to Ed? I was speechless. I had never been given the opportunity to speak back to the condemning thoughts that had ruled my life for over 20 years. I had always assumed that these thoughts were just the truth, that they were just me. I was my eating disorder. But something has shifted now. Tom was showing me that the negative thoughts that berated me day and night did not originate with me. These thoughts, these insults came from Ed, not Jenny. And now Tom was giving Jenny the chance to speak up. I had no idea what to say. What do you say to someone who has manipulated, abused, and controlled you for years? What do you say to someone who has lied to you for your entire life? What do you say to someone who ultimately wants to destroy you? I sat in silence for what seemed like an eternity. Finally, I asked Ed, Why do you try to control my every move? Why won't you just leave me alone? In the few seconds that I took me to ask those two questions, I felt just a little bit of separation from Ed, and it felt so good. So I continued to talk to Ed. Was it you who told me I was fat when I was only four years old in a in dance class? And why did you never let me eat Halloween candy as a child? One piece of candy wouldn't have hurt me. It always looks so good. And why is the size of my dress the only thing that I remember about my high school prom? And you said that was all that mattered. In college, it was you who convinced me to walk into my bathroom and force myself to throw up that very first time, wasn't it? Why? I had so many questions for it. Tom mentioned that I should never get the answers that I wanted from Ed, but that asking the question was an excellent place to start. Tom smiled at me. I think I smiled too. Before I knew it, the session with Tom was over, and I was out of the door walking to my car, but this time, unlike leaving therapy sessions before, I felt with something new. I left with something new. I left with hope. In the time I spent with Tom that day, I rediscovered Jenny, the healthy part of me that wanted to live and be free of my eating disorder. I learned that she just needed a lot of patience and time to grow. I sat in my car, turned the engine over, and started to drive home. I was on a new road this time. I was on the real recovery path, and now I knew I could do it.
I heard Edge chuckling in the back, mumbling under his breath something about how he would never let me go. With all the newfound inspiration that I had just gained from Tom's office, I imagined stopping the car and throwing it out. This is definitely not going to be easy, I thought, but I can do it. Jenny S. Jenny Schaefer. Maybe she's the one who started uh, Jenny Craig, huh? Craig and Jenny? All right, let's move over along. Skeletons in my closet. I think I read this before. Well, let me, it sounds like it'll go along with Jenny's story. This is page 21. The skeleton in my closet. If you have a skeleton in your closet, take it out and dance with it. Carolyn McKenzie. My graduation, graduation dress made a surprise appearance from the back of my closet last spring. The kids dug it out in an effort to supply vintage clothing for a fashion show the local high school was hosting. The fabric was brittle with the accumulated filth of 30 years. The yellow chiffon muted under a layer of dust. The green velvet ribbon around the empire waist had faded to a melancholy gray. The elongated bowl drooping like the ears of a well-loved stuffed toy. My daughters covered their mouth in mock horror as the dress slid off the coat hanger and slumped to the floor. There echoed in my head as I reached for the gown, I heard the faint rattle of bones as the Keldon I had sipped into the folds of Yolo Chiffon was suddenly released. The secret I had hidden behind the wedding dress, bridesmaids' gowns, outdated Christmas outfits, the large clothes, the winter coats, and the maternity dress I couldn't bear to part with, laid blandly at my feet. What's wrong, Mom? My eldest daughter asked as I felt the color drain from my face. I held my breath and vainly searched for words. My youngest daughter gingerly gathered the dusty folds of fabric in her arms, creating them like an antique doll. Can I try it on, she asked. I looked into the healthy faces of my two teenage daughters at their cheeks faintly bronzed by sunshine, at their arms muscled and firm, their bodies strong and feminine, and cursed the guilty secret that was now out of the bag. You can try it on, I said tentatively, but I don't think you'll be able to do it, do it up. I was very thin in high school. I stand five foot nine in my stocking feet. The dress is a smidge smaller than a size six. Aside from a fading snapshot, safely tucked in a photo album at my father's house, there is no evidence of what I did to myself in my grade 12 year, except, of course, for the dress itself. The dress reappeared in my doorway, draped over the slim frame of my 15-year-old daughter. She's much shorter than I was as a teenager, more fit, more athletic, prettier. Billows of material mounted around her feet, 
but the back of the dress gapped open, the zipper strained, it was impossible to close. We all walk with demons. Of this, I am fairly certain, but sitting face to face with one I had never acknowledged was an unnerving as anything I have ever experienced. I had never admitted to anyone that I was bulimic. Hell, the word hadn't been even invented when I discovered what I believed to be the ultimate weight control program. My daughter's eyes, my daughter eyed me dubiously, waiting for an explanation. I had an eating disorder in high school. I finally whispered surprisingly myself with a frankness in my voice. My mother had to have the dress specially made for me when I graduated. My mother, my mother had been frantic as she watched her healthy teenage daughter melt away. She marched me into doctor's office, pounding desks with her fists and demanding that they get to the bottom of whatever was causing me to to lose so much weight. They never did. I feigned innocence. My monthly cycle stopped. I exercised like a fiend. I ate like a horse and quietly disappeared into the bathroom immediately following every meal. Then we couldn't find a dress to fit the skeleton I had become. I hated myself. 20 years later, when my mother was diagnosed with cancer, I fought with the demons again. She died, she died never knowing my secret or the fact that her grief-stricken, painfully thin daughter was starving herself again. The room was suddenly static with disbelief. My youngest daughter let the dress fall from her shoulders. It landed with a silent puff at her feet. Why did you keep the dress? My eldest daughter asked. I scooped the musty fabric from the floor. As, I, as a reminder, I suppose, I said, rocking it. She sat down beside me. Why didn't you ever tell me? The maternal tone of her voice was laced with concern. It's not something I'm very proud of, I whispered, or something that ever goes away. I had confessed the appearance of the grad dress forced me to admit that bulimia has walked with me for 30 years, that I wrestled with its powerful grasp through every major event in my life. That event now, when the world around me spins out of control, I look inward to the thing I can control and fight the urge to take his hand again. As I eye the soft fabric in my lap, I realized that eating disorders never disappear. They simply shuffle themselves to the back of closets and lurk. Whether mine was waiting for control or acceptance, I'm not sure. But now that the skeleton is out of my closet, I hope I can learn to accept the teenager who wore that dress and perhaps forgive her the dark secret she's been hiding. Elva Stollers. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening. Chicken soup for the recovering soul. Girl, you know, and I just can't believe how much this program helps me. You know, I just don't know where I would be without it. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Um, didn't have, just noticing today, you know, my brain likes to, you know, put a damper on things when things are actually really good in my life. 
And um, I'm just glad, you know, I have you guys. I have my, my people, my sponsor, you know, people that I can call on that get it, that I can literally just say, you know, my brain just wants me to be unhappy, and I'm just not going to do that today. And, wow, it really worked to, like, open up my mouth and share. You know, I remember thinking, and sometimes I do still think this, but I've gotten pretty good about just when sometimes I don't want to, sh- or I didn't want to share when I'm like having a bad time, you know, I don't want to ruin people's day, but it's just like, I better share because that stuff gets bottled up and I'm going to ruin someone's day. if I keep that stuff bottled up and it's just nice that it's just so automatic that I, that I share when I'm not feeling good. And it's also important to share when I am feeling good. It's just a, important to get this stuff out you know and um I didn't really think about what I was gonna say I this is just a wonderful holiday you know I noticed that in the past being a practicing alcoholic it always seems like it seemed like maybe next year I'd have a good Christmas why is why every time Christmas comes around me and my boyfriend are fighting or this is happening um, and it's just funny that it was, I was just stuck in some weird disease and that every day I can find beauty in every single day. And, you know, you folks taught me that this program taught me that, um, life has taught me a lot of things, but, um, definitely didn't teach me how to stay stopped. And yeah, it's just one thing I don't ever want to forget that I definitely relate to all you folks. I had that phenomena of craving. I couldn't stop drinking. I couldn't put the bottle down. I can remember being like, I don't know if I can get past day 27. That's the longest I could go or day 29 or something. And just really knowing and just knowing I couldn't stop drinking. I didn't know how to do it. And now it's like solid. It is a daily reprieve. Um, but it's, you know, the obsession has been lifted and it's thanks to come into these meetings, you know, and opening up my mouth. So just thank you to everybody that's on here. Um, it's just really cool. Mike and Annalyn, you guys have just been such a big help to me, you know, a guiding light. Um, really, you, you two really have that positive outlook. You remind me all the time. You know, I mostly talk to Annalyn, but, but Mike reminds me all the time. I always think of him when I'm bitching and complaining about living so far out in Hawaiian Acres. Like, oh, yeah, I got a really good deal going on over here. So, anyway, I love you all. I think that's all I got to share. All right. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you for being such a good friend to, to uh, Annalyn. She's, she's always so blessed that you guys are communicating with me.
and I was really thinking about it. I'm like, well, you could just go and you can and you can have some drinks and whatever. And then I play like, today when I was like making up the decision if I wanted to go or not. I'm like, do you really want to do that? <laughs> do you really want to go and have some drinks right now? And I'm I'm like, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to stay home. You're going to call and cancel, and then you're going to call another alcoholic, and then I'm all after I talked to her for a while. Then I then I text another um, alcoholic, and I'm like, um, what's a link to a meeting right now? And then he sent me this one, and it's funny because Annalyn sent me this one, but I was thinking that it was the next following Saturday for some reason. Um, so... Yeah, I'm very glad that I'm sober tonight, that I decided that I really needed to stay sober tonight, and I'm so grateful for this meeting, though, because, yeah, I'm like, you need to do something, girl. <laughs> no, you cannot live that life anymore. No, I mean, I just bought, like, an amazing house. I love this house, and, you know, there's so much that can go wrong in just a second if I did decide to do that. I mean, what if I got pulled over and I got a DUI and I went to jail and... Yeah, it would be a shit show. I would have, like, $10,000 in fines or whatever. And, yeah, like, I really can't afford that right now. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want that in my life anymore. I don't want that lifestyle. And I can so easily get into it if I want to. But I much take I much rather take the harder way <laughs> and the easier way. I think that trying to stay sober is the harder way right now. But it will get easier as it goes. Yeah, my sobriety is a blessing, and I have to, like, be grateful for every single day that I'm sober, and, you know, I am, I really, really need to stay sober, because, yeah, I'm, you know, I, when I was in college, like, my first year, my mom called me, and then she's like, she's all, Tanya, you really have to watch your drinking, she's like, your dad was a major alcoholic, and she's going, I'm really worried about you. And I didn't even know that he was an alcoholic or anything like that because when I was younger, I don't remember him drinking. And um, he had quit drinking because like, he found out from the doctors that he was going to die if he didn't quit. And luckily he chose to live. But, yeah, um, you know, when I got 11 years with him, but I didn't know that part, though, until I went to, until until college, you know, because I had never seen that, and I mean, like, my mom tried to, like, warn me so many different times along my journey of my drinking, because she saw, like, how out of control I actually was when I couldn't even see it, like, it's normal to, like, lie about your drinks and everything else, I mean, I would come home, like, smelling like alcohol, and then she's like, how many drinks did you have? And I'm all, only one or two. And then she's like, no, you have way more than that. You smell like a bar. <laughs> yeah, and I probably have like one or two, but they were extra, extra strong. <laughs> and no, I'm a major blackout drinker. And it's really scary if I drink because I don't know what will happen. So, you know, I really, I really, really needed this meeting tonight. I, And it's such a blessing to see so many of you. And... Um, yeah, I'm very grateful that you have this meeting tonight, Annalyn and Mike, because, yeah, I really need, I really need you to stay sober, thanks for helping Tanya stay sober, and thank you, Paul, for your starting out, though, too, I love you all, Merry Christmas, and Happy Holidays. Awesome, thank you so much, Tanya, we only have a couple left, this is, uh, 
and even now being in the rooms for so many years, like I not only have my story, but I've collected other people's stories and I have like reference points for even if I didn't go through something myself, I know someone who went through something similar and it's so funny you shared today, Paul, because I was talking to a guy in Kona, he's go he's moving back to Maui. And I was like, you got to go to the Alano Club. You got to go to the Alano Club. And he's like, nah, no, no, no. I'm like, no, I'm telling you, go to the Alano Club. I know this guy. He served Honolulu Bay. He got sober there for eight months. He had the best time of his life. Like, just trust me on this. And he was like, okay. And even, um, you know, I, I met, I was talking to someone recently, too, who's, you know, they were a professional bartender. And they're like, I don't know if I could go back to bartending. I was like, no, I know a guy. His name's Tim. And he's like, He's rocking right now, <laughs> and he did it. And he's like, he's got his own house, and it's all good. Like, trust me, um, <laughs> you can do it. Um, and that's just all like collective stories and wisdom uh, I've I've gotten from here. So um, I appreciate everyone. Thanks for putting this together, Mike. Um, good seeing everyone, and Meli uh, Klikimaka. Hello. Hey, thank you so much, Joseph. And then, uh, let's see, where is the, he's on, he's on, he's here. you know what, very last one to share here is, is, is Kenzie, Kenzie is, uh, um, just came up on one year sober, we are so proud of him, man, fantastic guy, hey Kenzie, you want to share with us, buddy? Sure thing, thank you Mike and Annalyn for having me, my name is Kenji, I'm an alcoholic, and, uh, on the topic of gratitude, I am probably the most grateful to be able to say that I am an alcoholic. Never thought that would be the case, but uh, I don't know. It's it's like it was just said. You know, the stories that are shared here are incredible. We get to experience so many different things from so many different people, and that's truly a huge blessing. Um, for me personally, I mean, I'm, I'm still young both in this program and in life, but I always had the hardest time because my whole identity was built around the people I was with, the job that I was working, and I didn't like either of them, to be frank with you. A lot of those people didn't like me either, but that's, you know, it's fair, but uh you know, today I have purpose. I That's probably the biggest thing, you know. And I get to surround myself with incredible people like Mike and Annalyn and Tim and Paul. Um, and my life has never been the same. I'm really grateful for that. This last year of my life has been incredible. There are ups, there are downs, but to get through it all and be able to have that, that toolbox is incredible because my toolbox just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I now intuitively know how to handle some situations which used to baffle me. Don't get me wrong. There's still quite a few out there that I haven't run into, but that's a big yet. Now in the meantime, I don't know. This is a great way to spend a Saturday night. I'm glad to see so many people out here. It's so cool to see you guys surrounded by all your loved ones and so many wonderful friends across the country. 
This is um, really, really inspirational. It was great to see you guys a couple of weeks ago. I can't wait to see you in another couple of weeks. So, Mike and Annalyn, you guys have a great night. Everybody else, thank you for showing up. Right on, Kenzie. Always appreciate you, buddy. Okay, so I think no one left in the screen except for me and I. Okay. Good evening, everyone. My name is Tyler Jake, a lot of Oh my gosh. Now I can say that I said I'm so proud to be an alcoholic. I will never forget the first time I introduced myself as an alcoholic. The first time I say that I am an alcoholic here is the name of the I used once to die. There's 40, 40 of them again. Can you imagine that? That's my very first time I say that, hey, everyone, I am an alcoholic. So, you know what? That night, we changed it. That's the same thing. I know we changed it to just, it's just a lie, right? For one day at a time. But, you know what, guys? I'm just proud to be part of this program. There is a lot of things to be grateful for within the upper year. And you guys are part of our lives. Thank you. 
on you. Uh, and they repeat the prayer of your choice. I know it's usually the, the Lord's Prayer, but um, if you're still there, Mom, and you want to lead us out of the Lord's Prayer, can you please? We're going to send you an unmute, Mom. How about that? Still there with us, Mom? Maybe she left her iPad on and pointed that in the Okay, so let's do. Okay, I'm going to do the prayer of my choice because I think it's one of the one of my favorite passages in the big book about God's Anonymous. It's um, it just it just really hits the mark for me, um, and I hope it does for all of you too. So. As we wrap up tonight, grateful to see you all, and this is a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation when you can still do each day for the man who is so good. The answers will come with your own help to get ordered. But obviously you cannot transfer something you haven't done. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the records of your past. Give free freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. After a moment of silence for the alcoholic and the family members who are still suffering, please, we're going to unmute all of you and you can join us in the serenity prayer. Right? There it is, right there. Uh, so unmute if you want. God. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Keep coming back. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Annalyn. Thanks, Gary. Thank you, Mike and Annalyn. See you, Joseph. Thank you to everybody else. Thank you for sharing your stories and supporting each other and let the uh, good Lord continue looking down on all of you. And this is Uncle, Mike. Uncle Mike from Buffalo. All right, Mike. Mike. Bill. Bill. Bye. Bye, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thank you, Emily. Bye, Eric. Merry Christmas. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Paul. Sure. Thank you, Mike. Uh, that was kind of a weird share, but I try to keep it real. I thank you. I can't tell you how much this meeting did for me. I was. Uh, <laughs> that was very real, very real, Paul. It's like whoa. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I've been in such a good mood. I had uh, when I was in Buffalo. I had eye surgery, two different surgeries, one on each eye, and my vision is perfect right now. I mean, I have to wear glasses to read, but I mean, I was practically blind and I'm so happy and I was so stoked to help this person out. And he's totally, I mean, more will be revealed, right? But yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Anyway, th that's a, that's a real Cadillac problem. Oh boy. You know, but he's staying sober too, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So, you, uh, you're uh, like uh, January. 
January 23rd, I think, Paul. So we'll be back and we'll, we'll spend some time, man. I will be here. Yeah, I, I right wasn't on. planning on being here. I was supposed to be in Colorado January 23rd, but I'm not going to leave till like February 20. I don't know. Like the third week of February. But all right, cool. I finally get to see you. All right, man. We'll see you Thanks for Good night, everybody. Okay. Bye to Mike's parents. Bye. Answers to Praise, page 206. Praise God for the pneumonia. And closes an order. May I have another order blank? I've given away at least 50 copies of Prison of Praise. The principle of praising the Lord has been meaningful in my life. I left Corpus Christi on February 23rd to keep two of my grandchildren while their mother went on to the Orient on a business trip. I had couch much of the time since October. Coughed. The doctor said it was caused by an allergy. I went about my business but with great effort while I was with my grandchildren I got pneumonia and was so sick. I kept thanking God for the pneumonia and telling him that I didn't understand it, but I knew he did. I got back home on some Palm Sunday Eve, still feeling spent and sick. The doctor put me in the hospital and on the breathing machine that helped me. On previous x-rays, nothing looked wrong, but a new x-ray showed trouble. To sum up, I had surgery for lung cancer. The doctor removed the middle lobe of my right lung which had dried up with a cell-contained cancer. He got it all, and I'm recuperating now. Now I see the goodness in the ammonia, for it made me pursue the illnesses. I'm so glad I could thank God through it all. My whole recovery has surprised the doctors. They can't understand why I improved so rapidly, but I know it was praise. While I was so ill with pneumonia, I could not seem to pray. But I could always praise. I learned from Romans 8, 26 and 28 that I don't have to praise since the Holy Spirit will take control. Also, I am claiming verse 28, and I know that all this is working for my good. When I am able, I am going to pursue the possibility of your coming to our town. Already three people have said they will help to underwrite the cost. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your witnesses. I gave my doctor a copy of both of your books. The next day, when he came into my room, he saw another copy in the chair. He asked me if, he, if I was planning them, to which I replied, everywhere I can, everywhere I can. I thank God for your ministry. My comments. Dear God, I thank you that you are even with men when they, they think that you're not. You are kind when men believe you to be unconcerned. You are alive and moving and working in our lives even when we think we are all alone. I thank you that you love everyone enough to reveal yourself to anyone who seeks you. But Father, there are people reading this who have never seen you or anything that you understood to be you. Please open their hearts so they will know you as you are. Let them feel your love for them. Let them come to know someone who will show your love to them. Help us know you and to live in such a way that others will want to know and love you. The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice.
That was the author commenting. He said it in a prayer. He said, Dear God, I thank you that you are even when men think you are not. You are kind when men believe that you are unconcerned. You are alive and moving and working in our life even when we think we're all alone. I thank you that you you love everyone enough to reveal yourself to anyone who seeks you. But Father, there are people reading this who have never seen you, you or anything that they understood to be you. Please open their hearts so they will know you as you are. Let them feel your love for them. Let them come to know someone who will show your love to them. Help us to know you and to live in such a way that others will want to know and love you. The Lord reign it. Let the earth rejoice. Psalm 97.1 Our next story or letter is called Pathways to Answers. It is the nature of man to work. He works to achieve, to build security, to impress others. God cuts sharply in the grain of natural man and says men's works will never lead to him. Our works are often egotistical and self-centered. At the very best, God's works are holy and they were made perfectly manifest in Christ. Jesus argued us to let go of our partly part paltry visions of self-achievements. Yet he is still confronted with our high opinions of our own worth. He gave Peter eternal life as a free gift. Peter knew this and appreciated it, but when Peter said he was willing to die for Christ, he was overestimating his own strength. What good do you think you are accomplishing? What evil do you think you would never do? Jesus knew that Peter was capable of falling. He knew that you and I are capable of falling. There is no sin that we are incapable of committing. At this point, I know that I am where angels fear to tread. For you may be very positive that you are some things you would never ever do. Since you are convinced that you will never do them, you may feel justified in heaping all kinds of criticism upon others who are guilty. To appreciate God's love for us, we must realize that anything in us that is good is the result of God's protection. General Wright, U.S. Army, tells us of the unbelievable animal characteristics displayed by young men who had been in the Bataan Death March. When the Japanese were transporting them in the hold of a ship with no fresh air, no sunlight, no food, no water, and a hundred degree heat, some men lost their resemblance of civilized men. When one of their numbers was hit by a bullet from an American plane strafing the ship, they sucked blood from the dying man. Insane, yes, they were. The same insanity may lurk within us. We may not want to admit it, so we pull robes of righteousness close about us and declare our complete alliance to everything good and holy. God sees us a little differently and declares that in us dwell no good thing. Romans 7:18. The capacity to deny Christ and swear we never knew him lurks within us. 
Does it hurt too much to admit this? As we do admit it, Christ's righteousness can be ours. God could keep us holy in word, thought, and deed, but it would have to be Him doing it. Paul declared that trying to obtain salvation by our own good works brought God's anger, Romans 4.15. He further declared that trying to obtain God's blessing by keeping His laws caused Him to be angry. This is hard for the natural man to understand. The whole Bible portrays God's insistence that we come to Him trusting only in Christ. Paul said, the more we trust Him, the more clearly we see. The more we trust Him, the more clearly we see what? We see that the only difference between ourselves and sinners is the grace and mercy of God. He provides forgiveness and salvation through Jesus who took all the punishment of our sins. Now, with peace, we can look at ourselves as we are and know that there's nothing in us that God does not forgive. We are then free to look at other Christians and know that God forgives them too. What a blessed day it would be when God's children no longer judge one another. This attitude opens our hearts to the spirit of praise. We are then on a pathway to lead that leads to answers to praise. Epilogue. Many thousands of readers have accepted Jesus as their Savior while they read the praise books. I pray that you too have received something from the Lord. Since I wrote the book, Prison of Praise, in 1970, my conviction has steadily grown stronger that a dynamic force is released in our lives when we praise the Lord for everything. Once we have accepted Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts. If you want his work in you to accomplish God's purpose, I strongly recommend four things. One, earnestly study God's word every day. Powerful forces will strive to convince you that you don't need to do this. So, the Bible says of itself that it is God's breath. Without that heavenly breath, we can soon become lukewarm Christians. Two, pray regularly. Jesus did. He rose before daylight to talk with God. He asked his disciples why they couldn't pray at least one hour. Never let yourself be deceived into thinking that you are too busy or that prayer doesn't work. Pray fervently and God will reveal himself to you in new and exciting ways. Three, turn your back on evil of all kinds. Evil has an insidious way of making itself appear to be acceptable. If we fellowship with it, for example, many television programs and movies are designed to make evil look attractive or even good. Before you watch any program, decide if this is God's will for you. Be sure to spend more time each day in prayer and Bible study than you do in entertainment. Four, witness for Him daily. God forgave us of our sins and gave us the free gift of eternal life. In return, he asks us to tell others about his son. Many Christians spend much time in learning how to be a stronger Christian, but never learn that one of the greatest sources of strength is to bring other people to Christ. Don't miss out on this blessing. If you haven't received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, please pray with me now. Say, Dear God, I confess that I am a sinner. 
Please forgive me of all my sins, the ones I can remember and the ones I can't remember. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived a sinless life and took the punishment for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and the free gift of eternal life that you give me. I want to live for you, to serve you, and to honor you. I receive your Holy Spirit, and I will follow you. Amen. The following in its expert from Marilyn's book, Praise Works. Now, I've been reading to you from the book called Answers to Praise, pages 206 to 212. Now I'm going to be reading page 213 to 215. Now remember, this excerpt from another book called Praise Works, the whole book is on this channel. You can find it under the title Praise Works. This is the first story, I believe, in the book. Frank Folio, author of Hey God, and an international director of the Full Gospel Businessmen, told me one of the most remarkable accounts of freedom through praise I have ever heard. He wanted me to share it with you. Frank's daughter was injured in an automobile accident. Her brain was severely damaged, and although many thousands of prayers were made for her recovery, her condition grew steadily worse. Finally, she had to be placed in the hopeless ward of an institution. It was the very end of the line. Patients in the ward were so far removed from reality that their families seldom came to visit them. One patient had been strapped down for 12 years because of violence. Other patients sat passive, staring at nothing, their vacant eyes reflecting brains emptied of all knowing. Still others laid rigid in beds without slight or motion. Vegetables. Frank's daughter had clawed her way out of a straitjacket, jackets, and tried to hang herself with a bedsheet. It had been seven years since the accident. Seven long years, and the absolute hopelessness of the situation began to take its toll on a very tough Italian. Frank's faith in God started to waver. On one very difficult journey to the institution, Frank was arguing with God. How could you be a God of love? I wouldn't permit such a thing to happen to my daughter if I had the power to prevent it. You could heal her, but you won't. Don't you love people as much as even I do? You must not, Frank left his anger rising against God. Praise me, a voice said to him. What for, Frank replied. Praise me for your daughter is where she is. Never, he spat out. I would rather die than do that. God had no right to ask him to praise him when God wasn't doing his own job of showing his love for people. Frank remembered hearing the tape about giving thanks for everything. He had been deeply moved by the message. But at that moment, he was in no mood to put it into practice. Thank me that your daughter's exactly where she is, the boy said again. God, I couldn't praise you if I tried. I am not going to try because I don't believe I should. As Frank continued towards the facility, the Holy Spirit worked in his heart and he felt his attitude beginning to soften. He said, well, God, 
I would praise you if I could, but I just can't. A little, a little further along, he confessed, I will praise you, but you would have to help me. After arriving in the institution, Frank went through the necessary procedures to get clearance to get into the most restricted part of one of the buildings. It always took a long while to get into his daughter's ward. Sometimes he wondered why he continued to come. His daughter didn't recognize him. She didn't know him from a stone on the ground. Finally, Frank was in the last waiting room, the one that separated him from the ward. One steel door remained to be opened. Standing before it, Frank Foglio heard the calm and firm voice of God one more time. Thank me that your daughter is exactly where she is. Read praise works to learn the amazing way God responded to Frank's praise. A little teaser for you. Thank you for listening to the end of Answers to Praise. I will be reading a story from Summer Treasures is the title of the story taken from Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul. William Black has one, was quoted, no bird soars too high if he soars on his own wings. The story goes, my last customer's tab had been rung up on the old cash register. I carefully placed the final dirty dishes in the holding tray, then shoved the tray into the gapping mouth of the huge gleaming steel dishwasher. It was finally quiet. The morning rush over is, has been over. I have been working since 6 a.m. and my 10-year-old stomach had been rumbling for an hour. Break time, Janie girl. Anna smiled over her shoulder as she finished cleaning the hot stove with oil and the big rectangle chore stone. Big rectangle core stone. How about if I cook you some breakfast, she said. I love Anna's kind face, her sparkling eyes, and her strong arms that would wrap around me when my mom wasn't looking. Anna had been the morning cook since my parents bought the small town cafe. Auntie Anna, as I called her, was tall, big bone, as a rail had huge hard-working hands. It was the custom for children raised in the 50s to call adults aunt, uncle, or Mr. or Mrs., never by their first names. Anna had insisted that she was to be my auntie. Just as I was to say I love some pancakes, my mother came into the kitchen with a pie in her hand and a look on her face as cold as the steel sink. She glared at me, then Anna put the pie in the oven and, and stalked out of the kitchen. She had been giving me the silent treatment for two days now, ever since my father had told me that I could accept Anna's invitation to work on her ranch in the afternoons for the summer after our work in the cafe was done. <clears throat> of course, my mother's icy silence, cold withdrawals, and statements that I would never amount to anything seemed to need no reason. 
No matter how hard I worked or tried to seek her approval, I had grown accustomed to the cold climate of inedible failure. Just as I had grown accustomed to my father's unwelcome touches and my parents' late-night whiskey battles. Don't pay her any mind, Janie girl, Anna said kindly. She just isn't the best of moods in this morning. You're a good, hard-working girl. Now eat some pancakes. You're going to need some energy for the work waiting for you at the ranch this afternoon. She winked at me. I will never forget my first glimpse of the Flying W Ranch. As we rounded the corner of the dusty dirt road in Anna's old pickup truck, the ancient big white farmhouse with a wraparound porch that seemed to radiate as much love as Anna's solid arms. The huge red barn. The coral full of beautiful horses, corral. Cattle grazing on what appears to be endless acreage and the Australian shepherd that yeeped at the tires of the truck. After we got out of the truck, Anna introduced me to her two boys from whom I never met, Sandy and Donnie, and to her husband, Pete. Then they took me to the corral and introduced me to the fleet, Fleetfoot, a beautiful black stallion. As I rubbed his silky muzzle, and looked into his soft, warm, brown eyes, I was told that he was one of the finest cutting horses on the ranch and would be mine for this summer. I worked on the ranch every summer until I left home at 18. Even though my mother made it so hard for Anna that she finally quit her cooking job when I was 12, my memories are full of summer afternoons, flying through tall grass, holding onto the reins while Fleetfoot did his job, cutting the cattle, racing Sandy and Donnie bareback across rivers and streams, kneading bread dough with Annie Anna, sitting in the big harvest kitchen table, watching her churn butter, saying grace before dinner, and hearing sip lap the rich cream Uncle Pete always gave him fresh from the bucket because... He was a hard-working animal who deserved his share of the best. I never told Annie Anna or Uncle Pete the horrors that were going on in my childhood home. I didn't need to, although I often confined my deepest secrets to Fleetfoot and Zip. Adult children of alcoholics carry wounds from their childhood, but many, like me, also carry the treasures and gifts of people along the way who took the time to care. When my children were young, they helped me make bread once a week. We shared meals around a harvest table like the one in the old farmhouse. Our house was frequently full of extra children. We always had a dog. I hugged my children every day of their lives, and I still love to sit with my grandchildren on the wraparound porch of my home. Those days in the Flying W were few, but the work I did there was more than cutting cattle and mending fences. The lasting work was the mending of my spirit and the knowledge that like Zip, we, are, we all deserve to be treated with kindness and compassion when we give our best. From Jane Middleton Moss, M-O-Z. Beautiful, wonderful story. Our next story is called 
touched by a higher power. Dinner was at a local restaurant to be followed by dancing at one of Chilliwack's more popular nightclubs. It was a time filled with great food, laughter, teasing, recollections of the school week, fully satisfied some would leave for home while the rest of us made our way to the club. Bright colored lights flashed and and strobes pierced the semi-dark room filled with people having a good time listening listening to a good cover of Twilight Zone. A song originally done by Gold Earring. The music was loud and the party was just beginning. My hands helplessly reached for the concoction capable of turning man to an animal. Looking to my friend, girlfriend, I asked jokingly, Hey baby, do you mind if I get drunk tonight? Knowing that we live just a couple of blocks from the club, Phyllis replied, laughing, Sure, why not? I don't have to have too far to carry you home. Over the music, I showed it right on. You're my kind of girl. The night of drinking, laughter, and dancing would take its toll. As if I didn't have enough to drink or wasn't drunk enough already, I always had to finish with a zombie or two, a very potent drink of various types of alcohol and a bit of mix. My laughter was now diminishing and the apparent heaviness of my heart was showing on my face. Are you okay, Phyllis asked. Looking like a zombie I had just drank, I replied, yeah, I'm fine, and you? Rubbing my thigh lightly as she was all we had, Phyllis said, it's okay, everything will be all right. Her eyes looked right into mine as she could see right through me. Reading my mind, seeing my soul, feeling her love, and knowing that I couldn't hide anything from her, tears began to fill my eyes. Had enough to drink? Want to go home? She asked. Hesitantly, I answered, motivated by the thoughts of the damage I now begun to do in my drunkenness, not feeling too safe inside myself. Sure, let's go home. I, I awoke in the morning, sad, sick, sorry, and extremely hangover. Awaking again to the words that I dreaded hearing after a good night's drunk. You're not going to like yourself very much when you see what you've done. Silence filled the air. I was too ashamed to even look at Phyllis, for those words only meant one thing. Defeated. I slowly made my way towards the living room, hoping in those few minutes the damage I'd done would somehow miraculously repair itself. Oh my God! I did this? Phyllis, scared and very concerned, asked, You don't remember? Fear gripped me as I envisioned the fury it must have taken to reap such destruction. No, why? Why did I do this? We had just left Huggies. You were quite drunk and I wanted to get you home. You stopped in the parking lot across the way. I looked at you. Your eyes and your face were as if you had become a different person. I asked you if you were okay. You said yes. I told you to keep on walking. We're almost home. Not moving, you started asking why. Why? I asked what you were talking about. Why? What? You didn't answer. You just stared. You started hollering. Your fists were clenched and you ran angrily towards the house. 
You kicked in the door by now you were cursing. Why? Fearfully I asked where were the kids when all this was happening. I found a note on the table they spent the night at a friend's place. There was no one home but you and me, she explained. Not really wanting to know, I asked, what happened next? You began smashing everything, punching and kicking the walls. That's where all the holes are from. Walking over to the fireplace, you knock everything onto the floor. You flip the couches and the armchairs as though they were paperweights, smashing the coffee table and throwing the other table around. You walked over to your weights and picked up your barbell and began repeatedly slamming it to the floor, hollering and cursing. And where were you while this was happening? Phyllis replied, right here next to you. In utter dismay at the vast devastation, I asked, weren't you afraid? No, I began to pray. You made your way into the dining room crying, still asking, why, why? I just watched you, I wasn't afraid. The tone of her voice changed as she said, I really needed to talk to you about something. My spirit already crushed, braced itself for the worst. After doing all the damage, do you remember anything at all? She asked. Puzzled, I answered, nothing, nothing, why? Silently, she stared at me and then continued. From where I was sitting, you were full in full view. You didn't enter the kitchen. You stood in front of the doorway, pausing again. She looked at me, questioned me. You began to talk to someone. Quickly, I interrupted her. You said we were alone. Yes, that's true. But as I watched you, you were motioning with your hands, very clearly talking to someone. I couldn't understand what we were saying, but I could hear you as clear as I hear you now. You spoke with this person, or whatever it was, for about 10 minutes. Do you remember who or what it was and what it is that you were talking about? Even more perplexed. I replied, no, are you sure this is what really happened? Assertively, assertively, she retorted. Come on now, you know me. Would I make something up like this or lie to you? Phyllis was a woman of many years of sobriety, a woman of integrity. She never played such a cruel trick on me. She continued, whatever you talked about, it must have been something good. Afterwards, you changed completely. You turned to me and an incredible look of peace back in your eyes and in your face. You walked toward me and all of the damage you had done. The only thing that you picked up was a calendar with a picture of Jesus on it. You pinned it back on the wall, then said, Let's go to bed, sweetheart. I'm tired. Powerful emotions stir as I recall the night years ago and think about the place from which I have come. Worlds of seemingly unrecoverable loss and immense pain. Wondering how a hand of beauty, love, and grace could reach into darkness so vile to rescue such as I. Tears no longer of rage and anger rolled down my face in thankfulness for the life I have now found, sobriety, a life no longer dominated by drugs, alcohol, rage, pain. Five years each new day bringing with the, the promise of something better. This can only be so 
as the words he spoke still echo somewhere deeply in my soul. From Godwin H.B. John G. Lake, page 101, chapter 11, A Trumpet Call. The 13th chapter of Acts tells us the story of the ordination and sending forth of the Apostle Paul. His ordination to the apostleship, Paul never writes of himself as an apostle until after the 13th chapter of Acts. He had been an evangelist and teacher for 13 years. When the 13th chapter of Acts was written and the ordination took place that is recorded there, men who have a real call are not afraid of apprenticeships. There is a growing up in experiencing in the ministry. When Paul started out in the ministry, he was definitely called of God and was assured of God through Ananias that it would not be an easy service, but a terrific one. For God said to Ananias, Arise and go forth into the street which is called Straight, and inquire of, in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. Acts 11, 15, and 16. That is what Jesus Christ, the crucified and glorious, glorified Son of God, told Ananias to say to the Apostle Paul. He was not going to live in a holy ecstasy and wear a beautiful halo and have a heavenly time and ride in a limousine. He was going to have a drastic time, a, a desperate struggle, a terrific experience, and no man in biblical history ever had more dreadful things to en endure then the Apostle Paul. He gives a list in his letter to the coronation of the things he had endured. Of the jewels five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, injuring often. In pearls of water, and pearls of robbers, and pearls by my own countrymen, and pearls by the heathen, and pearls in the city, and pearls in the wilderness, and pearls in the sea, and pearls among the false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, and cold and nakedness. Second Corinthians eleven twenty four to twenty seven. They strip him of his clothing, and the execu 
executioner, executioner lashed him with an awful scourge until bleeding and lacerated and broken he fell helpless and unconscious and insensibly then they dosed him with a bucket of salt water to keep the maggots off and threw him into a cell to recover that was the price of apostleship that was the price of the call of god and his service but god said bear my name before the gentiles and kings and the children of israel acts 9 15. he qualified as god's messenger beloved we have lost the character of consecration here manifested god is trying to restore it in our day he has not been able to make much progress with a the average preacher on that line mr so-and-so said so-and-so and i am just not going to take it that is the kind of preacher with another kind of call not the heaven call not the god call not the death call if necessary that is not the kind of apostle paul had do you want to know why god poured out his spirit in south africa like he did nowhere else in the world there was a reason this example will illustrate we had 125 men out on the field at one time we were a very young institution we're not known in the world south africa is 7,000 miles from any european country it is 10,000 miles by way of england to the united states our finances got so low under the awful assault we were compelled to endure that there came a time i could not even mail to these workers at the end of the month a ten dollar bill I got so I could not send them $2. The situation was desperate. What was I to do? Under these circumstances, I did not want to take the responsibility of leaving men and their families on the frontier without real knowledge of what the conditions were. Some of us at headquarters sold our clothes in some cases, sold certain pieces of furniture out of the house, sold anything we could sell to bring those 125 workers off the field for a conference one night in the progress of the conference i was invited by a committee to leave the room for a minute or two the conference wanted to have a word by themselves so i stepped out to a restaurant for a cup of coffee and came back when i came in i found they had rearranged the chairs in an oval with a little table at one end and on the table was the bread and the wine old father van well speaking for the company said Brother Lake, during your absence, we have come to a conclusion. We have made our decision. We want you to serve the Lord's Supper. We are going back to our fields. We are going back if we were to walk back. We are going back if we have to starve. We are going back if our wives die. We are going back if our children die. We are going back if we die ourselves. We have but one request. If we die, we want you to come and bury us. The next year, I buried 12 men. 16 wives and nine children in my judgment not one of these 12 if they had a few of the things that a white man needs to eat but what might have lived friends when you want to find out why the power of god came down from heaven in south africa like it never came down before since the times of the apostle there is your answer jesus christ put the spirit of martyrdom in the ministry Jesus instituted his ministry with a pledge unto death. When he was with the disciples on the last night, he took the cup. When he, was, when he had supped, saying, 
2 Corinthians 11.25. Beloved, the saying was the significant thing. It was Jesus Christ's pledge to the twelve who stood with him. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Then he said, drink you all of it. Matthew 26.27. Friends, those who were there and drank to the pledge of Jesus Christ entered into the same covenant and purpose that he did. That is what all pledges mean. Men have pledged themselves in the wine cup from time immemorial. Generals have pledged their armies unto death. It has been a custom in the race. Jesus Christ sanctified it to the church forever, bless God. My blood of the New Testament, drink you all of it. Let us become one. Let us become one in our purpose to die for the world. Your blood and mine together, my blood of the New Testament. It is my demand from you. It is your right high privilege. Dear friends, there is not an authentic history that can tell us whether any one of them died a natural death. We know that at least nine of them were martyrs, possibly all. Peter died on a cross. Jen was beheaded, for Thomas did not even wait to make a cross. They nailed him to an olive tree. John was sentenced to be executed at Ephesus by putting him in a cauldron of boiling oil. God delivered him, and his executioners refused to repeat the operation, and he was banished to the Isles of Patmos. John thought so little about it that he never even tells of the incident. He says, I was in the Isle that is called Patmos for the the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.9 that was explanation enough. He had committed himself to Jesus Christ for life or death. Friends, the group of missionaries that followed me went without food and went without clothes. And once, when one of the, my preachers was sunstruck and had wandered away, I tracked him by the blood marks of his feet. Another time, I was hunting for one of my missionaries, a young Englishman, 22 years of age. He had come from a line of Church of England preachers for 500 years. When I arrived at the native village, the old native chief said, He is not here. He went over the mountain, as you know, mister. He is a white man and has not learned to walk barefooted. That is the kind of consecration that established Pentecost in South Africa. That is the reason we have hundreds and thousands of native Christians in South Africa. That is the reason we have 1,250 native preachers. That is the reason we have 350 white churches in South Africa. That is the reason that today we are the most rapidly growing church in South Africa. I'm not persuading you, dear friend, by holding out a hope that the way is going to be easy. I'm calling you in the name of Jesus Christ, you dear ones who expect to be ordained to the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight. Take the route that Jesus took, the route the apostles took, the route that the early church took, the victory route, whether by life or death. Historians declare the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. Beloved, that is what the difficulty is in our day. We have so little seed. The church needs more martyr blood. If I were pledging men and women to the gospel of the Son of God, as I am endeavoring to do tonight, it would not be to have a nice church and harmonious surroundings and a sweet do-nothing time. I would invite them to be ready to die. That was the spirit of early Methodism. 
John Wesley established a heroic call. He demanded every preacher to be ready to pray, ready to preach, ready to die. That is always the spirit of Christianity. When there is any other spirit that comes into the church, it is not the spirit of Christianity. It is a foreign spirit. It is a sissified substitute. I live on cornmeal mush many a period with my family as we did not growl, and I preached to thousands of people, not colored people, but, but white people. When my missionaries were on the field existing on cornmeal mush, I could not eat pie. My heart was joined to them. That is the reason we never had splits in our work in South Africa. One country where Pentecostals never split, the split business began to develop years afterwards when pumpkin pie eating Pentecostal missionaries began infesting the country. Men who are ready to die for the Son of God do not split. They do not holler the first time they get the stomach ache. But Robinson tells of a story of himself. He went to preach in the southern mountains. It was the first time in his life that no one invited him to go home and eat with them. So he slept on the floor, and the next day and the next night, after five days and five nights, he passed, and his stomach began to growl for food terribly. Every once in a while, he would stop and say, Lay down, you brute, and he went on with his sermon. That is what won. That is what will win every time. That is what we need today. We need men who are willing to get off the highway. When I started to preach the gospel, I walked 20 miles on Sunday morning to my service and walked home 20 miles in the night when I got through. I did it for years for Jesus and souls. In early Methodism, an, an old local preacher would start Saturday and walk all night and then walk all night, Sunday night, to get back to his work. It was the common custom. Peter Cartwright preached for $60 per year and baptized 10,000 converts. Friends, we talk about consecration and we preach about consecration. Now that is the kind of consecration that my heart is asking for tonight. That is the kind of consecration that will get answers from heaven. That is the kind of God on, will honor. That is the kind God will honor. That is the consecration to which I pledge Pentecost. I will strip Pentecost of its frills and fold their rolls. Jesus Christ, through the Holy Ghost, calls us tonight to an early mansion and a $10,000 motor car, but to put our lives, body, and soul, and spirit on the altar of service. Jesus Christ, through the Holy Ghost, calls us tonight not to an earthly mansion and $10,000 motor car, but to put our lives, body, and soul, and spirit on the altar of service. All hail you who are ready to die for Christ and the glorious Pentecostal gospel. We salute you. You are brothers with us and with the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reading from Answers to Praise, page 128, Overweight Separated. A lady writes in, she says, My husband left our home and does not plan to return, but my prayers are for his salvation. Rather than for my own comfort, I can let God do the rest. I am overcoming the eating habits that I wrote to you about, 
God is so marvelous, he has time for the dumbest prayers. I praise him all the time now. I'm thankful he didn't make it easy for me like I wanted him to. I can't thank you enough for opening a new door. To God, I praise him for leading me to your books. As you recall, the lady had written in that her husband had left, and she started thanking God that he had left because of her overweight and other th- other issues, bills and so forth. And the day she started praising him, he came back. And now she, uh, she continues to praise God on every mouthful, puts a rubber band around on her hand or some kind of reminder, lets her know, you know, when praising God brings the wisdom and with wisdom brings power and knowledge, power to do the right thing by acknowledging if you're if I'm stuffing myself with uh with chocolate and I thank God, I thank God and I keep thanking God, I'm gonna eventually win the battle. Okay? He's gonna raise me to to spiritual power. I'm gonna connect to spiritual power to undo a daily uh human natural problem that is not right. God's ways is asking uh, power to do the thing right when you're especially when you're out of control you're drinking you're brawling you're making noise and stuff just thanks start hey god is available like the air in the sunshine the only problem is we're not taking advantage of it you know we're we're doing it on our own strength and then the the bible says curse is the man who considers the his own strength, who relies on his own self or someone else to fulfill your happiness. Now, right here is the uh, Marilyn Carruthers. He comments on this situation. He says, make it easier for me. It's often the cry of the person under Satan's attack. Our cry should be, make me aware that you supply me with exactly what I need. Make me aware that you supply me with exactly what I need. That should be our prayer. This letter was from the lady who was formerly so depressed over her husband leaving and her inability to control her weight that she was ready to commit suicide. I sent her a copy of Power and Praise and encouraged her to be thankful for her problems. And the Proverbs for today is, A merry heart does good like medicine. Beautiful, beautiful readings. Amen. And my promise to you, I'm going to read you a psalm as I promised. And we're going to go to Psalm 9 because today is the ninth. And let's enjoy God's word, which is beautiful, beautiful, wonderful words of life. Psalm 9, a prayer and thanksgiving for the Lord's righteous judgments. And that's what we're doing when we're praising God and giving him thanks for exactly. See, with Marilyn Carruthers, the author of the book Answers to Praise, what he's saying is that there is an answer in our problem. And if we praise them, we'll derive the answer from our problem. And then I like it because we've successfully given it over to him, to his hands, thanking him for it. 
And if it keeps bugging him, we keep thanking him for it. That's leaving it in his hands. And then it becomes wisdom to us. And with God, we'll fix it. It'll never be a problem again. Incredible promise, huh? Moving right along. I hope I, I, hope I confuse you. I thank God I confused you. <laughs> I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their names forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall administer judgment for all the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwell in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell all of your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will... Rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made. In the net which they have hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is a snare in the works of his own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Salah.